The Legacy of Charity's Children, Africatown, 1841, Dayton, Ohio. 1800 Dayton, because of its proximity to Western Virginia and Kentucky, attracted the emancipated and those who'd fled the condition of slavery. They came to town and were contributing citizens and eager workers. Some found jobs building canals connecting the city to the north and south, bringing commerce that made 19th century Dayton thrive. These families cleared land, dug ditches, and built log homes, established their own community on the outskirts of town, near a place called Seely's Ditch. Throughout the 1830s, it became a thriving community within Dayton, Ohio, that was called Africa, or Africa Town, located in what is now the Bomberger Park area. While not all black families lived and worked there, Africatown was viewed as the colored, the Negro community. Among the homes and businesses, the premier business was the Paul Pry Resort. The Paul Pry encompassed a hotel, restaurant, tavern, bathhouse, barbers and manicurists catering specifically to black residents and all travelers through the free Northwest Territory. We have uncovered a few purported versions of what happened in Africatown during the winter of 1841, but then there is another. The version of Charity's children and other black families who lived it, experienced it, who survived it. January 1841, a black woman of light complexion visited. She stayed a while at the Paul Pry. The town's pro-slavery white men, looking for any reason to assault the thriving community and seize the rehabilitated land, asserted that the woman was white and that she should not be entertained by or with the Negroes. The story flourished, said the white woman was being held against her will. Rumors swirled, and it was further alleged that she was a yellow woman of ill repute. A prostitute. Trumped up pretenses. Land rights, abolitionist speakers in defense of supposed white womanhood or entitlement over the body of black women. This all fueled the pro-slavery mobocracy's determination of terror. And they made a stop on Washington Street at the Sunday candlelight service of the coloreds. The mob battered an already broken shack, started fires with the prayer candles, pushed out and assaulted the worshipers. Then, January 26, torches lit the night sky. 19-year-old Nathaniel Nat McCleary led the mob attack on the innocent. With an invasive sense of entitlement, they brought dogs, whips, and clubs to the door 
of Alexander Price. Forcing their way into his home, McCleary and three others demanded services from the yellow woman. Buoyed, bolstered by assumptions of privilege, resulted in the stabbing, the killing of McCleary. Three black men were captured and arrested, two acquitted on lesser charges. Alexander Price, in defending his existence, slit the throat of McCleary. Price was tried and sentenced to life in prison. The sheer audacity that black men would stand their ground to defend life, home, and community was met with the retribution of supremacy. That night, the mob retreated, yet gave their word to fight another day. Flames were fanned when McClure's funeral was announced in the city's largest churches. The services were expected to draw large, angry crowds as the cauldron brewed. The abolitionist prayer meeting met in the home of Dr. Jewett. A menacing crowd formed in the tavern across the street, held at bay only because the mayor was known to be in attendance. And he left and the rioters converged, breaking windows in the doctor's office, and it is reported that they also attacked a nearby shop. Bitter and defeated, plotted a retaliatory attack, discussing these plans right inside the shop of John Brody, husband of charity. The Dayton Brody brothers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, John, and Asen. The brothers owned a carriage line operating from Dayton, Cincinnati, and northern Kentucky. John, we find, worked with the Davis brothers, James and Joseph, had a barber shop located outside of the area of Africatown. The city's prominent white men came there on the pretense of a cut, shave, or other barber's surgeon service, to daily debate the politics of human bondage or other mundane concerns of the day. They were made to feel comfortable in this place. The barbers and their apprentice Charles Caesar were invisible, aside from the services they provided. James Burney wrote of Dayton's, quote, illustrious white men, who found themselves both fond of and comfortable with the proprietors and their families. Existing in the reality of their power, they found these black folk to be mindful, perhaps even mindless, grateful servants. Ignorant to the vulnerability that is the mindset of superiority, with wisdom, and savvy, Charity and the Broadies and Davises bravely manipulated the arrogance of privilege to the benefit of Dayton's black community and more to aiding the enslaved who escaped through the Miami Valley. Though it was always unmistakable who held the power.
with arrogant disregard of the environment, a second violent attack on Africatown was planned from inside the Broady Barber Shop. The conspirators, assassins, and thieves offered John the hollow assurance that no harm would come to him or anyone in his shop. Charity hurried to gather as many who could fit, ran breathlessly to warn as many who would listen. The families of Isaac, Jacob, Abraham, and Asen Brody, the Davises, James, and Joseph with their families, friends, all huddled in the shop. The men took turns, keeping watch. Charity comforted by young Charles cradled baby Harriet, tightly clutching the hand of a frightened little Julia. Together, we count over twenty-five trembling souls. Babies, seniors, terrified, nestling in below-zero darkness. Amid flashes of fire and soaring flames, cries to the mob for compassion were met with the rioters' menacing hoops and howls of revenge. Feudal moans for mercy, then justice extended through the night from inside and outside of the shop. A Cincinnati newspaper, The Watchman of the Valley, reported on the Dayton riots of 1841, listing 35 incidents surrounding that fateful February night when the vulnerable were targeted. A mother, having recently given birth and barely clothed, was forced from her home. With her new baby on her breast, they shivered all night, hiding in the woods. A young man escaped his burning home, then realized he'd left behind clothes and money. He rushed back inside to recover the only things he had when the mob shut, barricaded the door behind him. It was reported that, miraculously, he escaped being burned alive through an upper window. Hearing the calamity, another woman awakened from a mother's slumber rushed to dress as the mob broke into her home. Modestly, she attempted to cover herself. As she put her dress on, raising it over her head, they set the dress on fire, then threw, shoved her onto the bed where her baby laid. The terrorized ran to the door of the constable seeking the rule of law. Beyond their frightened faces, he saw flames, the smoke rising in the distance, then turned and went back to bed. February 3rd, 1841. On that cold, heartless night, Africatown was looted and burned to the ground. morning brought stark terror. The agonizing knowledge that souls, an entire community was ravaged, lost at the hands of fellow citizens. A bitter sunrise proved the mob kept their word with the broadies too. <laughs>
Victims of the attack were battered, clothes tattered in the cold Ohio winter. Men and women left with nothing. Children were seen clinging to what was spared, cuddling chickens they were able to salvage. Charity again defied the mobocracy, who warned not to provide aid to survivors. Known throughout the community as the Negro Nurse, she rushed to enlist others and worked tirelessly to provide care and feeding to the worn and wounded. The total population of Dayton at that time was just over 6,000. Only 326 of its residents were black citizens left brutalized, homeless, hiding in the woods. Many died of exposure from below zero temperatures as relentless winter wind blew through Ohio's open plains. The mornings, days, weeks, months, years after the attack on Africatown were met with anguish by Dayton's surviving black residents. Bitter, soul-searching anguish that doubts the who and where you are Raw emotion giving way to self-preservation, the fight-or-flight basic instincts of survival. Those who were physically and or financially fit left the city, and for decades after, Dayton had few black residents, was known for not being a place hospitable for coloreds. You've got frustrations, I. You've got ambitious dreams. You haven't seen because your skin, the heat is sin, but it won't break your soul. Your strength will hold. The soul of Africa brings life inside your heart. You're powered by her sun. Your journey's going far, no matter what. Remember who you are. Abraham and Asen, despite the thriving Brody carriage line, were among those who fled to Canada. Jacob left some time later. But Brother Isaac stayed. He reclaimed the territory with a new bride, Marianne Wilson. They married. March 23, 1841, witnessed by Brother Jacob within the smoldering aftermath of Africatown. Isaac stayed. Isaac stayed to fight, because when they listed colored soldiers, Isaac Brody registered in Washington Courthouse, Ohio. He served in the 70th Regiment of the United States Colored Infantry and is part of the African-American Civil War Memorial. Just keep on fighting from a place of strength because you know where you are from. The fight is in your blood. Yes, your feet hope so you keep on. That's how you grow You can embrace it all And dare the rage to fall Let it fall You breathe, you're not afraid Oh, do John? Well, John was likely never the same 
John Brody vowed he would not stay in a place that treated his people that way. And eventually he left Dayton, Ohio to join his brothers somewhere in Canada. Because so much else is detailed, the lack of specifics on his eventual whereabouts seem guarded. Do not let this agony keep you from your energy. So lift your head up, lift your chin up, start with pride. As for Charity, Charity said she would never leave the only family and friends she knew. Others who chose to rebuild included the United Daughters of Zion. With Charity Brody among the trustees, these women founded the first Wesleyan Methodist Church, Dayton's Mother Church. Julia Galloway Higgins is the great-granddaughter of Charity. She writes, Out of the smoke and ashes of this mob-torn town, the first Wesleyan church was built. The Mother Church, where James Davis gave birth to the abolitionist organization, the American Sons of Protection. Miami Valley abolitionist who became part of the network of Dayton's Underground Railroad, which included Charity's home. Keep listening. The Mother Church gave birth to so many things. Among the survivors of the 1841 pro-slavery mob attack on Dayton's Africa town, we are the legacy of Charity's children. Oh, I've got, I've got, I've got, I've got, I've got it. Oh, I've got, I've got. Next time on The Legacy of Charity's Children. The United Daughters of Zion and the founding of First Wesleyan, the Mother Church, rises out of smoke and ashes. The Legacy of Charity's Children is a production of The Legacy of Charity's Children, LLC. All copyrights reserved. Reproduction and redistribution of the Legacy of Charity's Children podcast without express written consent is prohibited. Charity's Children is a trademark of the Legacy of Charity's Children, LLC. Original scores by music director and engineer, Jared Griffin. Producers, Tamara Calvert and Jared Griffin. Project historian and researcher, Sherry Gowdy. Oral history consultant, Carolyn Lander. Marketing and publicity, LaCris Brody Robinson Jordan. Additional voices provided by Elliot Imani and Daryl Griffin, with Janetta Smith Lang as Julia Galloway Higgins and Charlest Moore Sweet as Charity Davis Caesar Brody. These stories are derived from family oral and written histories and confirmed by historical records. I am Patricia Smith Griffin, the fourth great-granddaughter of Charity Davis Caesar Brody, creator, writer, and executive producer. We are proud to share with you the legacy of Charity's children and hope that you are inspired to research and tell your Black family story because there is value and there is validation in every family story. <laughs>